and welcome to episode 45 of the Weekly Briefly. I'm your host, as always, Sean Blanc, and I'm joined by a very special friend of mine, uh, my former podcasting partner in crime, uh, Mr. Ben Brooks. So ben, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So you are in good old uh, Washington right now. I am, yes. How's the weather up there? It's, it's good now today. Um, a little sunny out, peeking through the clouds, but last night was a little rough. That's, uh, I'm sorry to hear that. It's like 60 degrees right now in Kansas City. It's, and, uh, it's fairly warm here. It's funny, yesterday my wife took my two boys to the, there's a, like a huge train station here in Kansas City called Union Station, like actual trains uh, come through there, and they also have, of course, like a lot of really cool stuff. You can go into different rooms and see like exhibits and little train museum type stuff. And there's this whole area for kids to go and, and just all the model trains and everything. They had it all set up for, you know, winter time. And so, like, there was, the you know, the snow on the mountains for the trains to go around and stuff as part of, like, the little set. And my oldest son, Noah, thought that, like, it was milk. It looked like, you know, just this, you know, pile <laughs> of whatever, you know, like, and he just thought it was, like, a lake of milk. And he didn't, he, I was like, oh, my gosh, he doesn't know what snow is. Because he doesn't remember a year ago. It was, like, half of his lifetime ago. Oh, it's, see, my... My daughter, we had snow a year ago. She, I think she remembers it because she talks about it. Every once in a while, like during the summer, she's like, Dad, there's no snow outside. And I'm like, yep. That's because Sloan is a uh, part genius. And possibly. Yes. She, her memory is uh, impeccable. This is true. She's, she's pretty great. I got to meet her in Portland, as you You remember. did, yeah. yeah. Lovely family. So speaking of family, I thought today's show, I want to have you on. Um, whenever I want to talk about photography stuff, I like having you on because um, it's all your fault that I even got <laughs> into this stuff uh, a couple of years ago. And so basically, uh, we're coming up on Christmas. Christmas is about two weeks from now, uh, a little bit less than two weeks from now. And uh, I, you know, so holidays are coming up and everyone's going to be taking pictures, right? And so kind of wanted to do like the the two-sided coin of uh you know holiday photography which would be one talk a little bit about like you know getting gear like if um if you want to take better photos if you're not content with your iPhone or your your Android device whatever smartphone that you have that takes pictures um if you want to get something a little bit better I thought we could talk a little bit about some recommendations for folks uh to to get a camera and then also I wanted to talk a little bit about the actual like technique of taking pictures and portraits and stuff like that. Um, Cause I feel like it's actually harder than it seems like it's, there's more to it than you just, okay, cool. I have a camera and then I'm going to ask, uh, you know, my friend to, to say cheese into the camera. Like there's more to it than that. So I kind of wanted to just mow through this topic of holiday photography. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. So, well, let's start. What, what camera do you have? Uh, I'm still shooting with the Fuji XE2. What I, what does that mean? It's a um, what is that APS-C size sensor. So it's not a full frame, which you know is very popular these days. Um, but it's a mirrorless camera, so it's smaller, it's compact, it's bigger than Micro Four Thirds in size for both the sensor and the body itself and lenses and stuff. But it's kind of um, I guess the Fuji cameras are kind of considered enthusiast cameras in that. People are very passionate about them, and you kind of either love them or you hate them. And that's you, that's more. You or less. sold all your Micro Four Thirds gear, like what a year ago. Yeah, so I sold 
last January, so January 2014, I sold all of my Micro Four Thirds and all of my Canon digital SLR gear and just went all in on the Fuji. And how are you? How did that work out for you? Good. I'm thinking about selling all the Fuji gear and, and downsizing into the X100T. So you'd still be Fuji, but it would just be the one camera. Yeah, it'd be fixed lens then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which means it's it's like welded to the camera body. Right. You can't change lenses. So right now the one I have, you can swap out the lenses like you could with a bigger camera. Yeah. I've used the X100S uh, a few times. Some friends of mine, like David Smith, rented one during WWDC, and I got to borrow it. And when we were out there at XOXO, uh, a guy that I met was using one, and I got to use it for a little bit. And everyone whom I've ever, I've never, ever, ever heard anything bad about the X100S. It's like yeah. it's ma- like everyone calls it magical. Um, and then the X100T, like literally, just came out like a week or two ago. I think it started shipping on like the 30th of November and it basically improves on the X100S in a couple of ways. Like it has the face detection now. It's got like the hybrid uh, rangefinder viewfinder thing that like is part uh, digital. I'm not 100% sure exactly how it works, but it like it zooms in, gives like a digital zoom in of what the optical viewfinder is showing you and, and some stuff like that. Um, it's got like the silent shutter and electric shutter. Um, you can go like one... 32 thousandth of a second so it's like ridiculously fast shutter speeds um and I, you know i think that that's most of it gets better battery life i think so so uh anyways i use an olympus em10 is the camera that i use i used to have the epl5 i wish they would name these things better they're terrible all right? camera names are terrible I, I mean, we're, we're like five minutes into the show. And we've already, you know, rattled off the XE2, the X100S, the X100T, the EM10, the EPL5. It's like if you don't have all this stuff memorized, if you're not like really paying attention, you're like, uh, what? Like, slow down. It's just like whizzing by. Like, I wish it was easier. You know, like Apple stuff, right? It's the MacBook, the MacBook Pro, the MacBook Air. Like, they're, even if you don't exactly know what we're talking about, you at least can get the gist of it. And they're easy names to remember. But all these camera names, Right, and it's just like, you know, the, like everybody, everyone, Sony, like they all have ridiculous, you know, titles. You, you can't keep up with the the weird letters and numbers. Yeah, no, I don't know why just, they do it that way. It, it's the most frustrating thing about cameras in general because you can't talk to a normal person that doesn't know anything about cameras without confusing them the minute you say a camera name, and they're like, "Which one should I get?" And you rattle off like a seven-digit long number that's like the model they should buy and they're never going to find it yeah exactly i have no idea what you just said i'll write it down so i take a moment and thank this show's sponsor it's the uh scalable reliable secure email infrastructure known as mandrel so uh, mandrel is run by the team over at mailchimp though it's not the mailchimp service uh, as you are probably familiar with mailchimp uh what mandrel is it's the largest email as a service platform on the market. They've got more than 375,000 customers. Uh, what Mandrill is for, it's for developers who love documentation, uh, developers who love integrations, high delivery rates. They've got webhooks, analytics, all this stuff. Uh, it's for people that like APIs and who are comfortable with code. And what you would use Mandrill for is you'd use it to send automated one-to-one emails like your password resets, your welcome messages. You could use it to send marketing emails, customized newsletters, all this stuff. 
Um, it's really, really easy to set up. You can set it up super quickly. It's easy to use. It's ridiculously stable. Uh, MailChimp themselves send something like a billion emails every uh, every month. Actually, I think they send 10 billion emails every month. It's, it's MailChimp is huge, and Mandrill runs on that MailChimp infrastructure, so it's very secure, very reliable, uh, very scalable. Uh, it comes with beautiful interface, a bunch of template options you can use. They've got custom tagging. They've got advanced tracking and reports and all that stuff. And you can use it for free every month. Your first 12,000 emails are free uh, every month, always free. They've got super simple pricing, uh, very simple structure there. So it's easy to know what your monthly bill is going to be like. They don't have contracts. They don't have hidden fees, anything like that. Uh, so if you need email as a service, you want to check out Mandrill. You can go to mandrill.com, M-A-N-D-R-I-L-L.com. Uh, check it out. And thanks to them for sponsoring the show. So the, like I said, the camera that I have, the, the Olympus EM10, so it's a micro four thirds and you've got, you were saying that your Fuji is the APS-C, um, which basically these are like three different sizes of sensors. So if, if people aren't like super familiar with the, the terminology, what it, the sensor is like, that's the, like the, the sensor, it's the film. I don't know. It's the film. Right. It's the digital film. Exactly. So, so the full frame camera is the exact same size square on the sensor as a 35 millimeter film. Yeah, a piece be. of actual film. Right. And then the APS-C is like one, uh, or like 75% uh, surface area. Uh, then, yeah, it's like 50% or something like that. I think Micro Four Thirds is 50%. Uh, oh, yeah, you're right, yes. And so basically like they're slightly smaller sensors and then obviously like the size of the sensor on your iPhone is going to be, you know, it's like the size of your pinky fingernail. It's you know, significantly smaller, whereas than the full frame, you know, it's thirty-five millimeters uh, diagonal. And so, basically, like the the better you're going to get better image quality, the larger the sensor is because it can capture more light. It's also um, usually will have more uh, or larger like little sensors, like light sensors within like that sensor surface, and so it's capturing more light. And then by having those bigger sensors within it, you're getting like just the better quality uh it does better at nighttime so you're taking photos in, in dark it's not going to be as grainy or as blurry um and then also like you, with the larger sensors you get the like the depth of field you get that better like if you're taking someone's picture the background is going to be more blurred because the the larger sensor like helps with with the the depth of field and where it focuses and stuff like that which i'm not Honestly, I'm not like super sure. I've read a lot of the stuff about the physics behind how a sensor size contributes to depth of field, but I, it's still a little bit of it's over my head. Yeah, it mostly has to do with how the spot of the image coming through the lens is being projected back onto the camera. Uh, it's, 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 you're right, it's just all physics, optical physics. It's, it's impressive, though, to say the least. Yeah. So... So Micro Four Thirds is kind of like the smallest of the larger, you know, sensor these mirrorless cameras, um, and then the APS-C is a little bit bigger than the full frame. And so uh, I thought we could just talk a little bit about gear. Um, so let's say you know, let's say this is me. Uh, like two years ago, right before I bought my first nice camera, I was like, you know, hey, I want to take pictures of my kids. That was the whole uh, purpose of me buying a nice camera. My son Noah was about nine months old at the time. And I was looking through all like my iPhone photos that I had taken of him. Um, that would have been with the iPhone five at the time, four S. I think the five like had just come out 
like a couple months before I bought. So most of the pictures I had taken with Noah were uh, on the iPhone 4S, which actually was a pretty significant bump in terms of the iPhone camera. Like that was one of the years where it's like, all right, this actually, like it was an evolutionary leap with the camera from the 4 to the 4S, I remember was a big one. And uh, so most of the photos I had taken of him were on the 4S at the time. And I was kind of looking through them and the holidays were coming up and, and I was just like, None of these are like amazing photos that I want to print and like put in frames or hang on the wall. They look good in Instagram. They look good on my phone and that's about it. And I just was like, I got 20 more years of taking pictures of my kids <laughs> and I'm not sure that this is like I felt like I wanted to raise the bar in terms of quality uh, of pictures of my kids. That was kind of the motivating factor. So back in the day, you and I, we were recording the BMB podcast and we talked a lot about like photo gear and there was just kind of a lot of back and forth, like as I was learning the ropes. So let's like say someone's listening to the show they're They're in the same shoes that I was two years ago going, you know what? Holidays are coming up. I got family, I got kids. I want to take better photos than what my iPhone can handle. What should I do? Like tell me, you know, point me in the right direction and, and at least give me some, uh, you know, some context of what to hunt for. Or, you know, I'm hoping we can even give some, like, just clear-cut suggestions in terms of what type of gear to get. So, Ben, I'm curious to hear, like, what you would recommend to someone who goes, hey, I want, I just want to take better photos. Tell me what to get. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, anybody's better off now than you were a couple of years ago because the, the technology's advanced so far. That's the thing with the mirrorless system is that we're getting camera, new body cameras from, like, Sony and olympus what every six months or so and so olympus is on about a 12 month cycle okay uh well yeah i guess they're on a 12 month cycle but they release they stagger it for all their different models because they have a bazillion models right 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 yeah um so anyways uh yeah i mean the the first thing you have to identify is your budget i mean it really comes down to budget and i think when people start to look at photography gear they look at bundles and you don't ever want to touch a bundle. You want to just buy a body and a lens. And I know you've written about that a bit before, but you can get really old camera bodies. See, the thing is with cameras, when you have interchangeable cameras, um, the lenses, they're going to be around for a while. So when you buy a new, you pick your system. And then when you buy your lens, you're going to get to use that lens on that system for quite a long time, you know, decades even. And so, you got that's why like Fuji and Micro Four Thirds are so popular is because that lens mount um, they've proven that they're going to stick to it. So Micro Four Thirds shares a lens mount with uh, what Panasonic, uh, Panasonic and Olympus, mm-hmm. and uh, I think Kodak too has a, a new camera with a Micro Four Thirds mount. So you got three different brands that you can choose from for your camera body, and you can use any of the lenses, and you get varying trade offs, but it's not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. So yeah, for me, I would pick something small like the. Um, if you want to, it again, it depends on what you really want to do. But cameras like that um, Panasonic GM One, have you you know which one I'm talking about, Sean? That it, that tiny, a, tiny little one. Uh huh. Yeah. I mean, that's a really slick camera for someone moving from an iPhone because um, a lot of people don't like cameras in general, um, dedicated cameras because they're too big. And so how do you carry them? You have to go buy a bag or a strap or you have to look like a nerd running around with a camera. And until you get over that, small cameras that you can stuff in your pocket are really good. And there's um, what's the there's a new EPL, right? The EPL 7. The 7, yeah. And that, I mean, if you want a better camera, that would be like, that's what I would go and get. 
Because the thing with Olympus that is really beneficial to new shooters is the image stabilization. You, you just can't beat it. Right. They've got the, the in-body <clears throat> image stabilization. How much does the, the GM1 cost? I don't know. I don't have Safari open. So the uh, the EPL seven I think is is five hundred bucks for the the camera body only, um, and then like you said, Dick, you want to get a, a fixed what they call like a prime lens, which basically means it doesn't zoom at all, uh, like, just like your iPhone, right? Like your iPhone right. will do digital zoom, so you can like hold it and then you can you know pinch to zoom the, the the photo, but all you're doing is basically just like using software to just expand the photo, just like you would if you just saved it opened it up in uh, Photoshop and, you know, zoomed in like that. Like it's basically, you're, that's what you're doing. You're not genuinely zooming. And what's cool with the prime lenses, they don't zoom, is is generally you're going to get um, better image quality because then the glass that's inside the lens, all the different pieces of glass that go in there to help the lens, you know, be in focus, they're, you know, they're all fixed. And so they're, it's usually a, bit, a little higher quality. The The build of the lens is a little bit better. And then what else is because they're able to do that? Then you're able to get what's like they call it like you know it's a faster lens or the aperture, right? right. Which basically defines like how big or or how small the iris is within that lens, and you can you know you can adjust that. You, you can adjust all of them. So these prime lenses will go like really really fast, which would mean they would go to like you know 1.2 or 1.4 aperture, which means they're like super wide open, and they that they're letting in a lot more light. And that helps with your like the depth of field stuff, and uh, also it helps uh, with um, uh, like shooting in low light. Right. So, so like last night, um, you know, we turned off all, all the lights by the Christmas tree, and my boys were hanging out, and we we're looking at the Christmas tree. And my, my oldest son Noah was like walking up to the little um, uh, the ornaments. And like discovered like, oh my gosh, this is like a mirror, right? Like a fun house mirror. <laughs> so he started making like these super funny faces into the ornaments. And I was like, oh, this is like awesome. I'm going to, you know, so I like grabbed my camera and I like kind of was standing behind him and then taking pictures of his funny faces in the ornaments, right? But it's like literally we're in like all the lights were off in the room except for the Christmas tree lights. So it's really, really dark. And uh, the so I just opened the the aperture all the way to to one point four, so the iris of the lens was as open as it could be, and I was able to get like some great shots. They weren't blurry, uh, and you know they they looked good, and it was super super dark in the room. So that's one of the biggest advantages to to buying these prime lenses, is that the 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 aperture number, um, you know, it can open up quite a bit larger than with a the zoom lens. You know, usually it's going to be like. You know, two point eight or three point three or something like that would be like the lowest of the number goes. Whereas if you have something that goes down to one point seven or one point four, even one point two, um, then it opens up better. You're going to get the better depth of field. You're going to be able to shoot better in low light, things like that. Yeah, so, and I mean those yeah, those numbers seem pretty close to people don't shoot photography, but the difference between f two lens or an f two eight lens could be the difference between capturing your kid while they're trying to hold still and just getting a blurry picture of them moving. Right, exactly. Especially, you know, in the low light stuff. Um, and what else is nice is, you know, I think for me, one of the big things was I'm looking at the the photos uh, that my iPhone takes and I'm looking at the photos that I, I take with my uh, Olympus camera. And the, like that depth of field, at least for me, like I like that, right? You, you want to have it or it's a little bit blurry in the background. Like it's just... It looks great. It looks it's like professional grade uh, photography, 
And I just don't have, I mean, some of these people, they take photos of their iPhone and it just like blows my mind how, how talented they are at like framing the shot and editing it and stuff like that. And I'm not there yet. So I kind of need like the crutch of uh, <laughs> like a nicer camera with a nicer lens. And I feel like I, I, I take some really great shots, but a lot of it for me is like the subject matter is what for, for me is what makes it such a great photograph uh, photograph. It's like, this is my kids or these are my, this is my family in here. And, uh, and so you get a little bit of that background separation where it's blurry in the background and the person's face is in focus and it looks like a professional photograph and you love it all the more because it's like, you know, A, you took it, so it's cool. And B, it's like of your family. It's your kids, your spouse, your, your parents, whoever it is. And so the subject matter has meaning to you as well. And so you're like, this is the best photo in the world. And, you know, there was uh, uh, Casey Liss, uh, him and his wife just recently had their son and he there's this like amazing photo that he has um you know their son had a little bit of fluid in his lungs he had to go into the the NICU like right when he was born and then he brought it back and you know Casey took this picture where Aaron he's holding she's holding their son and like she's got this little tear like coming down her cheek because like they you know it's just after the birth and like the his son was gone for a little bit and comes back and it's just like like here is this photo and Casey's like this is probably the best photo I will ever take in my whole life. Like he loved this photo and it is like a beautiful picture to be sure. But Casey loves it like all the more because of the subject matter. And, you know, and this photo has like, it's, it's nice. It's clear. It's in, it's in focus. It's sharp. The background's a little bit blurry. So it's got that professional element to it. But then it's like the subject matter is so like special to Casey. He's going, this is the best picture I've ever taken and probably will ever take. You know, and and it's because of that, and so, um, so for me, like that, that's a huge reason why having a nicer camera is so great. So, did we ever figure out how much the GM one costs? Yeah, it's seven hundred and fifty dollars with a lens. It comes with a little lens. But do you want that lens? Well, I think if you're buying the GM one, you're fine with that lens. How come? Because you're buying this is a, a zoom lens. Um, it's a um, electric zoom lens, which means that it's actuated by a little motor. Instead we just of, spent like 10 minutes talking about why zoom lenses suck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the thing is, is the only reason that you're going to get a shot like that is if you're carrying the camera and you're never going to carry something you don't like. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, you know, it's the, it's the reason we all have iPhones when, if we had blackberries, we'd probably have them sitting somewhere on the counter far away from us right now. But yours is probably on your desk or in your pocket. Mine's in my pocket. Um, if you don't have your camera with you, you're going to miss a shot every time. So if you want the smallest possible camera because you're afraid of carrying a camera bag or a camera on a strap and you want something that's going to fit in your pocket, albeit a reasonably sized pocket still, then yeah, stick with this little compact kit with the zoom lens and you're going to get a better image than you'll get out of your phone. Mm-hmm. Just by virtue of the fact that it's going to do better at subject isolation with the depth of field. It's going to have higher resolution. It's going to have better noise control um, and all that stuff. And it'll have, well, it probably won't have better burst mode than the iPhone. The iPhones are ridiculous on their burst mode these days. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of my baseline pick. If you don't care at all about photography and, you know, I see a lot of um, my wife's mom friends, they'll ask me all the time how I took a picture of the kids and like, they want to know like the full setup. Like if I set up a backdrop or something like that for a Christmas card, especially and. And they'll uh, they'll ask me something like that. I'm like, um, no. Well, what were the settings on your camera? It's like, if I have to tell you what my settings were to get this photo, you're not going to be able to replicate it. And so, 
cameras like the GM1, where you don't have the greatest lens, it's uh, what it's an f three five on the the fast side. Um, it's not going to matter so much because you're not going to ever get. Even if I gave you an f one four lens, you're not going to get it because what you'll do is you'll miss the focus. Um, and by that I mean, like as you know, Sean, when you're shooting with like f one four wide open, so you have a super shallow depth of field. You, if you're really trying to blur out that background, you maybe have an inch, inch and a half of your of depth in your photo that's in focus. So that could mean that if you accidentally focus on the nose of someone, their eyes are out of focus. Mm-hmm. And to take a good picture of a person, the eyes always should be in focus. And that also means that if you have a group of people, like say two kids, I had this problem um, just recently when we were shooting our Christmas card for the kids. We, I wanted my two girls to sit next to each other and I built this backdrop, my wife and I built this backdrop of strings of Christmas lights. And so it would have this very high key string Christmas light that's all blurred out with the nice bulbous bokeh, you know, and, and the two girls sitting in front. But in order to do that in the limited space in my house where I had some light because it's raining outside, um, I had to have the kids sit like 10 feet away from the backdrop and then me sit three feet away from their faces and then shoot at F1.4. I literally had like an inch of depth that was in focus and you try and get a nine month year old, a nine month old and a two and a half year old to sit at the same plane, like uh, sit perfectly parallel with each other. It's impossible. Um, and so I spent, I think my wife and I spent an hour and a half trying to get some photos of that. And we only got like one after I shot probably 500, but it's like, I'm sure it's an amazing photo. That's okay. I could have done better, but they were they lost their patience for me. Now half is pretty impressive. Yeah, I know. So, but anyway, so the reason I, I say this camera is a, a good camera for someone that doesn't care about that stuff, that doesn't want to learn about all these techniques, is because if you, if I give that f one four lens to someone, they're going to have more out of focus shots and be more disappointed than they would be with an f three five lens, where ev- almost everything's going to be in focus for them. And they'll get a slight, slight bit of background separation. And mm-hmm. um, you're just going to be happier with the pictures. Because at the end of the day, it's all about the photos, not about the gear. So the you thing want- is, is, though, I would argue, though, if, if you give someone a, a lens that goes down to f1.4, you can, you can stop it up, right? Like, or in terms of you can cl- change the aperture up to you know, f2, f3, f4 if you need to. So you're not you're not only shooting at f1.4 you can shoot at all these different apertures and so you can like you can make it so that more of the the depth of field plane is is in focus so that you can get that shot of your kids even if they're not sitting literally with both of their noses on the same you know yeah. uh, depth of plane like their their faces will still be in focus you won't have as as wild of background separation but your the kids faces will be in in focus and then the advantage of going with with a prime lens that can, uh, you know, go down to like an f two or f one four or whatever, is that you can, you, know, you can get as you progress in your skills as a photographer and as you begin to learn this stuff, um, then you can take advantage of that hardware and you've, you're not stuck with this camera that kind of has a ceiling. You know, I think a GM one, seven hundred and fifty bucks, like you could buy uh, the EPL five uh, for like. Three or four hundred bucks right now, which is the mo- the two years ago model um, Olympus camera. That's still like a great, great camera. And then you can buy like a nice, you know, the Olympus, like the twenty five millimeter one point eight lens is a great lens. Um, and and that rig right there will run you, uh, you know, about seven hundred fifty to eight hundred dollars. And it's it's going to be virtually professional grade, but yet also 
it's it's not going to be like so compact that you would put it in your your pants pocket. But this is similar to the uh, the camera that I used to have. I had the EPL five with the Panasonic the pancake lens. That, so it's a really thin lens, um, you know, and it was a twenty millimeter uh, with the f one point seven. So it was still really great uh, lens. And it was so small, like I could put it in, you know, in the wintertime, I could put it in my coat jack pocket easily. Uh, it would fit in my wife's purse easily. It fit in the, like the, in our the center console in our Jeep, I can stick it in there. Um, you know, and then when I walked around with it, it just looked like, it didn't look like a super crazy, wild professional camera. It just looked like, oh, that guy has like, you know, a, a camera you know, it right. just looks like a camera. Um, but it took amazing, amazing photographs, and I was super, super happy with it. Um, and then by doing the the Micro Four Third system for me, like then I was able to upgrade my camera about a year and a half later, but keep the lens. And then the, the, I've got this great lens, and it works with my new camera. And then I can sell my old camera body if I want to offset the cost of my new camera body. Uh, but I don't have to buy any new lenses or anything like that. Um, and so, so I would I would argue like going with something that is capable of, of the faster aperture and then just learning how to use it. Um, and I remember like when I, you and I were having all these conversations on, on the, the show and stuff and I was, I would even be like texting you all day long. Like as I was doing research, I spent so much time uh, researching this stuff. That I <laughs> drove you bonkers with all my, my silly questions. Cause you can like, you can super geek out over this stuff like crazy. And, uh, and, and it was like so, so much of this stuff was over my head. I just didn't get it. Like, you know, the, the focal length, you know, 20 millimeter, you know, 40 millimeter, 25, 50, 75, like all these numbers. And then like F1.2, F1.4, F1.7, like I didn't know what these numbers meant. Um, and it was just all, you know, you talk about micro four thirds, how it has a, a two times, you know, crop factor for full framing. It's just like, I don't even know what that means, right? It was all over my head. But then within like just a couple of weeks of actually using the camera, like I, I, it just all like clicked for me, just, you know, no pun intended. It just all started to make sense. And the, the way that the exposure and aperture and the, the, the crop factor for these different sized sensors and uh, all that stuff, it just like, oh, I get it. Like just using the camera, taking pictures, like, and just, just using it. I, I wasn't even like, I didn't read the manual. I wasn't like watching YouTube tutorial videos. I was just using the camera and I began to see like, oh, like when I have it on these settings, this, these are kind of how the photos turn out. And then when I adjust this, this is how the photo turns out in, in turn. And it just, it just all began to make sense. And then once it all made sense, I was like, then I knew what I wanted from a camera, how I wanted to use it and stuff like that. And so that's why I would always urge somebody to get something that they can grow into because it sounds intimidating on the front end. It sounds scary, but you learn it so fast and then, and then you're ready to like take it to the next level. I don't disagree with you at all. Um, and that's why I, I pushed you towards getting a micro four thirds and stuff. But the, the problem with it is that you have two types of people that want to get a better camera. There's the first type of people that just believe a better camera will make them their pictures look better. And they believe that it's gear dependent. So I will get this photo better because this guy shoots with it and his pictures are amazing. Um, so there's little regard for the technique um, process involved and the, the talent of the person taking the picture. Mm-hmm. And for those people, I tell them just get a GM1 because they're going to be happier with it because it's going to be an easier camera to use. It's going to be small. And it's actually quite a bit smaller than the EPL5. 
Um, it's like with the lens on, it's the same thickness as the EPL5 um, without a lens. Gotcha. Um, so anyways, uh, but it, those are the people that I throw in the category of I'm not, I don't care to learn. Right. They're just going to, they're the people that are going to come over and say, Ben, what settings did you do? And if I tell them the settings, they're just going to put those settings on their camera expecting the exact same picture. Right. Not realizing change in lighting conditions and blah, 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 blah. Right. And so for them, I just say, get a GM1 because you'll, it looks similar to the camera I have and you're just going to be happy with it because it's just a gear purchase. Mm -hmm. But for the people who actually want to learn, you're absolutely right. You get a fast prime lens the best body you can afford. You know, buy the buy the lens first, a really good lens because it'll last you a long time and then spend as much money as you have left over in your budget on a on the body, the best body you can buy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if that means you can buy a, a the 25mm 1.4 Leica Panasonic lens, go buy that lens. And then, you know, if you have 4 or 500 bucks in your budget left over, put it on the EPL5. If you have more, buy a better or newer I guess not necessarily better, but a newer body. Right. See, the main difference between the bodies with Olympus is that they have better image stabilization engines that they run as you go up to the ranks. Right. Then you you get an optical viewfinder, which, like the EPL5 that we're talking about, only has the LCD on the back. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you get better noise control as you work up the ranks. And that's most, if I'm, unless I'm missing something, Sean, that's most of what the improvements are to cameras these days. Right. Like for the, the Olympus line, that's what I'm most familiar with is the Olympus lineup. And you take the, um, so I'm going to spat out a bunch of numbers basically from, from their lowest level cheap camera up to a higher level. You've got like the EPL5 is uh, kind of like one of their older ones. It's a couple of years old. Um, and then, like you have the EM5, which is like was their flagship for a long time, um, but is no longer. Uh, and then you've got like the EM10, you've got the EM1. The EM1 is the flagship model right now. Uh, you've also got the EPL7. You've got just the EP5, the EP7. So there's like all these cameras in in different ranges and stuff like that. But you, if you just took them all apart, took the bodies apart, and just look inside. And and like the thing that matters most, right? Like the sensor and the processor, they're almost uh, like across the board, they're almost all identical. So you basically have like it's just what are the extra bells and whistles that you want to add on in terms of how how big the camera is, um, like all the different settings on the outside for how much you want to control it manually versus how much you want to just let the camera itself control everything for you. Do you want the the viewfinder where you can hold the camera up to your eyeball and like look through it, or do you just want the LCD photo on the back? Like all this stuff, right? Like is just like it's it's those are the bells and whistles that you're paying for, which is like that's one of the reasons why I'm super happy I went with Micro Four Thirds two years ago. Is I've got now I've got a couple lenses. Um, yeah, I have the the like the Panasonic Leica 25 millimeter lens you were talking about, which is so awesome. I love it. I've still got the pancake lens. Um, I'm hoping to get like another lens. Maybe after Christmas, I'll get the portrait lens, the 75 millimeter portrait lens. And I know like, okay, now I've got like a couple lenses that are like a nice lineup. And in the future, as Olympus comes out with new cameras, if they come out with something that's really like compelling that I know I would utilize the features for that or whatever, like I can just buy that camera body and I've already got these amazing lenses that they're like lens technology isn't really improving. Right, like it's it's just like how well that lens is made, 
And and that like at the end of the day, like that's all that matters. And so if you buy these quality lenses, you can, like you said, you can have them for decades, literally decades. Even like some of these old Leica lenses um, that are like, you know, the five and $10,000 lenses, they actually like gain value over time. They actually yeah. like appreciate value. And so like your lenses really are an investment. Um, but then that brings us to the X100 series, this magical, right. this magical camera we were talking about at the beginning of the show. Well, it's, so it's, it's it's a fixed lens. It's fixed lens. So it's a fixed uh, twenty three millimeter f f two lens, mm-hmm. uh, which works out. So most lenses, the actual millimeter doesn't matter, like what we've been talking about, because it's not universal between the systems. It's dependent what you view through the lens, how wide or narrow the focus is, or zoom, as most non photographers like to talk about it. Um, it's dependent on the sensors. So. It's equivalent to a 35 millimeter full frame, um, which would be 18 millimeter on uh, micro four thirds. Mm-hmm. So um, it's a it's it's one of what you call a normal telephoto lens. So it's fairly it's it's wider than I think most people would be used to, um, but not as wide as your iPhone lens. Your iPhone I think is closer to what 20 or 18 millimeters or something on a 35 equivalent. I don't know. I think I think that's what it is. Anyways, um, so the thing about it is that it's a Fuji camera, and Fuji cameras are really odd. And I don't recommend Fuji cameras for people who don't know what aperture and ISO and shutter speed mean. If you can't shoot a camera in manual, stay away from a Fuji camera. Um, they're just not made to be shot in auto, and that's not but, where the benefit comes. But they can be, right? Yeah, they can be, but you're not going to get the benefit because no Fuji has image stabilization. So you're not going to get, you lose quite a bit on that. Um, but the trade-off is that Fujis have virtually no noise in their images, no matter what ISO you put the camera on, as long as it's within its native band. So you can go up to ISO 6400 on a Fuji, and you'll have virtually zero noise when you take that image out of the camera in RAW. And if you do that same with the Micro Four Thirds, depending on which model you have, you're going to see noise. Even, even full-frame cameras, you're going to see noise. And noise um, is all the, the little dots. Yeah, the when little it, speckles. It, yeah, when it's discoloration. Dark yeah, yeah, exactly. So the what makes the X100 series, which is X100, X100s, X100t now, um, so great, is that it's very much a photographer's camera. It has an optical viewfinder. Um, it's a range finder style, so it means you're not looking through the lens when you look through the viewfinder. Most cameras, when you look through a viewfinder, you're looking through the lens, so it's exactly what you see through the lens. Um, this is more like a point. In, it, remember those disposable cameras when we were kids that you used to get and you crank the wheel? Mm-hmm. And it had the little viewfinder on the side, but you weren't looking through the lens. It was just like looking straight through the camera. Right, right, right. So you're that's kind of approximating. Right, you're approximating what you're going to see. Um, now, it does a little bit better job of that because you can actually flip it on the X100 to a digital viewfinder as well. And so you can flip between optical and digital. And when you go digital, you're looking through the lens. And what you're talking about with the X100T is it does both at kind of the same time. It's a little weird. But the reason that so many photographers like it is that the camera really feels like an old-school mechanical camera with all the modern affordances. So when you set up like an Olympus camera, um, you got programmable buttons all over the place. You're in the menu. You got touchscreen LCDs. You have as much software as hardware working with you on it. 
Right. When you pick up a Fuji camera, it feels very much like you're using more hardware than software. It's got a dedicated ISO dial, I think, on the X100. It has a dedicated shutter speed dial. Um, it has a an aperture ring on the lens where you you set the aperture manually. So it's very old. It's very Leica-ish in that sense. But it doesn't have the trade-offs of Leica, mainly being it's got fantastic autofocus. It's insanely fast. It's quiet. And you know that's one thing that we kind of skipped over is why are we talking about mirrorless cameras um, instead of like a digital SLR that you can get really nice ones for like 500 bucks at Costco. And if you try and take like a picture of a kid or a baby with one of those, the mirror that flips up and down while you take it is going to be so loud that they're going to stop whatever they're doing and you only got one chance. <laughs> Um, it just distracts them every time. I tried. Um, that's why I got rid of my stuff. But on the mirrorless stuff, um, you don't have that mirror. So you just have a very quiet click usually. And then if your camera has an electronic shuttle, it's, it's, it's virtually silenced. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I, maybe I got off track of what you wanted to talk about with the X100. <laughs> so, so the idea would be is someone. So I had a couple of questions on Twitter for the the show, and one okay. of the questions was, uh, you know, if I want to get a nice camera, um, should I get the X100T or should I get the EM10? Is the two because those are the oh, two that gosh. I've kind of been I've kind of been raving about on my sites, and I was like, really, like that's the question you you know. It's jerk. nearly impossible. Yeah. <laughs> it's an, it really is an impossible answer. Um, and I was talking to a friend of mine recently who has the X100S, and he had read my review of the EM10. And, uh, and I was like, you know, man, that sounds really great. Uh, the EM10 sounds really cool. Um, you know, but he's like, I, I still really like my X100S. Um, you know, the advantage of the EM10 or any of the, the micro four-thirds uh, cameras is it's going to be you've got the interchangeable lenses. Um, and so you can, you know, like we said earlier, you can, you can keep your lenses forever and then just buy new camera bodies if, and when you want to. Um, I still actually have my original, my EPL five that I bought two years ago. Um, and I could probably sell it for 300, maybe, maybe 350 bucks. Um, I could sell it used on, on Twitter or eBay or Craigslist or somewhere. Um, but it's still like, it still takes really, really great photos. And actually I posted a review of my EM10 and all the photos I took of the EM10, I used the EPL5 to take the photos. And everyone's like, I want, man, what, what, what camera did you use to take those pictures of your EM10? Like, if you're taking pictures of the camera you're reviewing, what was the camera that was doing the work at that point in time? And it was the EPL5. And so, like we were saying earlier, all these Olympus cameras, basically the inside, the guts of them, uh, at the end of the day, it's pretty much the same internal guts that's taking the picture and so you're going to end up with the the potential for the same quality of, of photograph no matter which olympus camera you get if it's been you know since uh since you know mid 2012 i wouldn't get anything older than that because um, that's when they kind of had their breakthrough with the sensors in that original first generation of the the em5 uh was like their flagship and that's kind of like what put them on the map um in terms of like being competitive against the dslr so Anyway, so you, that's the advantage of the Olympus stuff is uh, it's a little bit cheaper um, for camera bodies. Uh, the Olympus lineup has some great lenses, but then you've got the the X100T versus the EM10. Um, you know, Ben, like you were saying, it's like the photographer's camera. And right. so, for someone who's who is excited about getting into photography, maybe you're already familiar with it enough, and you're just maybe you've got a DSLR that you want to downgrade in terms of like the, the body size, but you don't want to downgrade in terms of image quality or, or anything like that. 
um, and you know how to take pictures, you're familiar with this stuff, you're comfortable with aperture and exposure and, and shutter speed, then the X100T very well could be the camera for you. And uh, one of the reasons I don't think I, I would trade my EM10 for the X100T is because of the, the fixed lens. And personally, I, I still really enjoy um, you know, having the option to shoot with different lenses. And I, I know like I've read... Um, so many of these uh, photography reviews and like um, Ken Rockwell, right? Is his last name? Yes. Like he wrote this this review of the, the X100T, and um, and you know I, like he's got some stuff about you know why not to use uh, zoom lenses and how you should only buy the the, the prime lenses and, and stuff <laughs> like that, right? And and I, I you read these guys and it's like after they've been doing this stuff for five or ten or twenty years, like they kind of just like photographers begin to just settle into like, you know what, just give me a camera that I like and give me like a 35 or a 50 millimeter lens and that's all I want, right? And so I, I'm kind of like, okay, I'm, just, I'm, I'm in the phase of life where I want to have two or three lenses you know, yeah. in my bag and be able to swap them out. But I'm going, it seems like every photographer I know, they eventually get to this point in life, they become like the Yoda and they're like, just give me my 50 millimeter lens and just give me like a nice compact camera body that is, is fun. And I'm going to just like, I'm just going to be in camera heaven, right? Like that's kind of where this goes if you stick with it for, for long enough. So I'm, I'm also going, I could just, you know, cut to the chase and just go get the X100T and, and become Yoda at the age of 33. But I don't know if I'm, I'm ready for that, right? Like, so for me, like that's the, that's what draws the line, but. Ben, I'm curious. You're you're considering selling. You've got like the XE2. You've got some of your your nice Fuji lenses, um, and you're considering getting a brand of all that and getting the X100T. Like, how come? Well, okay. So first of all, I've I'm, I'm at that point where you're talking about because I had when I had my digital SLR gear and Micro Four Thirds, I had three lenses for Micro Four Thirds, seven lenses for full frame Canon gear, and a nice full frame Canon body. And then I sold that all and had. The XE2 with two lenses, and now I, and then I had the XE2 with three lenses, and now I'm back down to two lenses, and I only use one of them. <laughs> which, um, which one do you use? The 35 millimeter one four. So I sold the the 30 the 23 one four to a friend. So I just use which isn't a pancake lens. It's like a big lens. It's a 50 millimeter equivalent, um, and that's kind of what I shot with most of my life, and so. The, th- the thing about it is that if you really start reading on how photographers have shot, there's a lot of photographers who've made their career shooting with just one lens and one camera for their entire life. Mm-hmm. Conversely, there's just as many photographers who've made their career with going to each assignment with six camera bodies, 20 different lenses, and so on and so forth. It really doesn't, I mean, you're not going to be better for just one lens, but you're also not going to be worse. Um, it just comes down to thinking about it. And anybody who uses an iPhone should realize that. Like, There'll be times you hold up your camera to take a picture of that moon that you see, and it's just way too far away. Like Your eye sees it much closer than the camera lens does, and it looks stupid on your camera. Mm-hmm. And so right. they'll, they'll just be shots that you just can't get. And so what you do on those times is you put the camera back away and you just enjoy it. And mm-hmm. commit that to memory. But for me, the reason I'm thinking about getting down to the X100T um, is that it? It's very for me. I like everything about the Fuji system, but now I'm starting to realize, like I've said, this lens on my camera hasn't come off in months. Um, 
And so I'm starting to realize I don't need that. And if I don't need that, I'm paying a huge penalty for having the XE2 in that the lens is very big. Um, and so because the lens is so large, I can't carry it with me very well. So if I switch to the X100T, I could carry it with me better. And if I can carry it with me more easily, I'm going to carry it more often. And if I carry it more often, I'm going to get more pictures. Right. I think that that right there is the, like, that's, that's it. That's the linchpin of the whole show, I think, today, is what's the camera that you're going to use? Yeah, right. exactly. And the, the other thing, though, is to answer that question, there's two really simple ways, really fast ways to determine if you're a Fuji user or not, or a Micro Four Thirds. If you, if you think that video or you want video to be a part of your camera purchase, do not buy a Fuji. They say that they have great video, but they don't. By, by Micro Four Thirds, you'll be way happier. Right. Well, and Micro Four Thirds is like universally acknowledged, like the Olympus stuff, especially like is is very well known for their video quality. Yeah, it's great video quality. Now, if you are coming and you're like, you know what, I don't really have any digital cameras. I'm, I was a big 35 fil- mil- millimeter film shooter and cameras lost their soul after films started to die off, buy a Fuji and you'll be happy. Mm-hmm. Because uh, the images you, you get off of a Fuji, you can take them straight out of the camera and call them good. You don't need to edit. Um, and you'll love the color reproductions and the skin tones are wonderful from Fuji systems. Um, and you don't quite get that, in my opinion, with Olympus, though that right. is debatable. I agree. I think Olympus stuff, um, you know, and but it's also not just the sensors, it's also the lenses. Like I, yeah. I feel like Olympus stuff is, for lack of a better word, and it this sounds like a, it's a, a, a bad thing, but it's not. But I feel like it comes out a little bit um, like sterile in terms of just like very clean and neutral um so not in a good way not in a bad way right like it's just like this is just what it is and um so one of the reasons why i like the panasonic lenses for the olympus camera bodies is i feel like they have a little bit more character uh they they just the the lens is just there's more character to it so you're getting a, a photograph that's not only like a nice photo but like there's a little bit of personality to it um but i'm still not like i don't love uh my my cameras or the the photo color quality right out of the camera. I usually like to, to toss it into Lightroom. But I enjoy that actually, like that process of going through in Lightroom and and picking out the best photos and then applying some filters. I use some of the Visco film stuff. Um and you can get some really and, and then the end result, like I just love it. Like I look back a lot on photos. We have photos um all around our house that that I've taken. Um, you know, we print them out and they look great and we do the Apple photo books every Christmas for my mom. And give her like you know the Blancs year in photos, and she gets to see all the, the pictures of her grandkids all year long, and uh, it's something that she you know has you know on the coffee table at home, and um, you know and like I love it, like the end result is super super great. Um, so I want to move on real quick and to like yeah. the second part of the conversation. Um, so basically, we didn't really answer the question of you know what you know I want to take nice pictures. What should I buy? Um, <laughs> But I, I think we gave some 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 good examples of you know what like look at Olympus the Micro Four Thirds stuff look at the Fuji stuff and basically just decide like what's a camera that looks interesting to you like it looks like something that you would be excited to hold and to use and uh, that you wouldn't be embarrassed to take out with you and that you'll actually take with you like at the end of the day that's what matters right and, yeah that's um, that's a key point right there is make sure you're excited about the camera right and I think that. Um, uh, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but Stu Mashwitz, who writes Prolost, 
uh, he wrote an article uh, like a year or two ago um, about like, you know, how to basically this thing, like, you know, like an idiot starter guide for taking good photos. And it was basically like his thing was just go buy any DSLR camera body that you can find. And they're going to be four or five, six hundred bucks. And then just go buy the the 50 millimeter, you know, F1.2 or F1.4 lens that goes with that camera body. Because if you're going to buy like a full frame camera body, just like, you know, a Canon Rebel or whatever it is, like you can use the Canon lenses and Canon lenses are dirt cheap. They're like, it's like 150 bucks, 200 bucks for uh, like the nifty 50 lens. Uh, whereas with Olympus and with Fuji, that same lens is going to be like between three and 500 bucks just because the, the lenses are a little bit, not quite as commodity at this point. Right. And so he's going, hey, look, you're getting into, uh, now you've got a, a really great camera with a really great lens. It's not professional, right? Like you're not going to go shoot a wedding, but it's it's good. It's 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 a million times better than your phone, and now now you can go take your pictures and you're into it for like seven hundred bucks, um, and then just now go buy Lightroom and and then and then you're set, right? But I feel like the the hole in that theory is that you have a camera that you're like, it's kind of ugly, it's kind of bulky, and, <laughs> right, like, you, even, like, the Canon Digital Rebel, right, like, it's still, it's, it's yeah. it, it's still big, it's, it's not a pretty looking camera, um, it's, it's definitely more than capable, and yeah, it's a little bit cheaper, but it's not something, like, like, for me, like, I wanted something that I could invest in this system, I, it was a camera that looked cool, that I was interested in using, that I wanted to use, and I wouldn't be embarrassed to walk around with, and it wouldn't be a burden, um, and so that's why I liked the EPL five so much is it was, it was very small. Um, and with the pancake lens on it, like it was, you know, it's a small camera and it fit in my coat pocket just fine. And even when it was out, it felt like, Hey, this is cool. Like this camera looks cool. Like I liked it. I like how it looked. Um, I enjoyed using it. So I think like that for me, like that's the route you got to take is, is find the camera body that looks cool and then decide like, do you want to invest in some lenses or you just want to do something that's fixed lens and simple um, or, you know, whatever it may be. So part two, I want to talk <laughs> a, a little bit about, um, how do you actually take good photos? It's, 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 so, you know, fast forward coming on Christmas, coming on, you know, Christmas Eve, holidays, New Year's, all that stuff. Like you've got your camera, you're there, it's, it's, it's Christmas time and you, and you want to take some good photos of your family. How do you do that? Like practically, how do you round everybody up? <laughs> like a group photo or candid photos? Well, I, I'm thinking. So here's 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 what I'm maybe I'll just answer my own question and then you can you can okay. riff off of it. Um, for me, I found like a lot of times I want to take the candid photo, and so I want to like you know kind of walk around the house a little bit. I've got my camera. I'm pretending like I don't have it, and then I want to like just take some pictures of everybody doing their thing. And 99% of those pictures just do not turn out good. Like people are, they have funny faces because they're in the middle of talking. They're not looking at the camera. They're blinking. Someone's putting a cracker in their mouth. Like it's just everything. I'm like, wow, I was trying to be clever and like get these cool candid shots. And 99% of them like just are total trash. And so what I've learned to do is to say like, hey, smile for the camera, right? Like say cheese and, and actually like just like acknowledge I have a camera, I'm taking your picture, look at me, look at the camera and smile and, you know, give me 30 seconds to, to take a couple of pictures and make sure that you're in focus and that you're smiling and you're looking at the lens. 
And having that, that, you know, acknowledging I'm taking this picture, now smile at me, and, and take the person's picture, and then just taking everyone's picture that way, right? Like, you end up with these great, great photos of your family where they're looking and they're smiling, and those are the photos that you want. And so I don't know if other people are going to be like me. Maybe maybe that's normal, but like I rarely do that. And and so I kind of like need the reminder, like, hey, go up to them and, and tell them to smile for the camera and then take their picture. Yeah, I think that's a good way to go about it if you want people looking at the camera. And I think if you want to do more candid stuff where you're you know you're catching someone in a genuine moment or what have you, um, you just have to be patient. You. You have to put your camera on burst mode, and when you when you see something you like, be be ready and shoot it. And you have to decide, okay, I'm going to stalk this person for you know a couple of minutes and see if I can get a good photo of them. Or you know, this person is talking to this person; they usually tear up when they start talking about this topic. I'm going to keep my eye on that. You know, mm-hmm. um, that kind of stuff. And, and you're right. And for for me, um, that's when manual focus and manual settings come in key. You know. You can. I'll just pre-focus on the the spot, and I'll stay in roughly the same spot, and you know, stop the lens down a little bit, and then just wait for something. That way, I can just pick the camera up and point in that direction, and hold down burst mode for a little bit, and and that way, it allows me not to have to sit behind the lens. You know, like I'm a sniper, right? I'm just you know, kind of just casually walking by, and I kind of know where my focus is and if it's going to catch it or not. Um, but for group photos, the, the blinking thing is the hardest, and like getting people to focus. I have no real good tips. You know, the wedding photographer tip is tell everyone to close their eyes and then open them on the count of you know three. Um, that's halfway decent, but for the most part, you're kind of mm-hmm. kind of out of luck. And something <laughs> group, I group learned, photos are terrible. Uh, something I learned from my friend Chase Reeves was uh, when you're taking someone's portrait. You know, you've got your camera and it, you're taking a picture, you know, say of, of your, your brother, your, your, your wife, whatever, is you go right up to them and you get like as close to them as you can. Like just let their whole head basically, like their head and shoulders like fill the camera frame and you just get right up close and have them smile. And those, uh, you know, offset it a little bit so they're not quite right dead center. You know, they're a little bit to the left or a little bit to the right. Um, and those just turn out like far, far better as, as portrait photos. And so oh, if you yeah. want to get someone to smile, go right up to them, get it, you know, get close up. And then what else is interesting, you know, going back to the, the, the physics of the optics with the camera and stuff is when you're, you're closer to the subject, then the more, and, and you're focusing close to the lens that like the person's really close to you. Um, and that's, you, that focus point is, is nearby. Then what's in the background is even going to be more blurred. Right um, and whatnot, so that's why like another you know good reason to go up, get close to them. It just looks better. It's nicer. It's just just their face in the in the photo. Um, it's going to be clearer, more in focus, and the background is going to be even more blurry, and it's going to look a lot cooler. Um, so I, one, you know, one thing I like to do too, when like when I'm taking photos like that, and I get close, a lot of people get really awkward and uncomfortable when a camera gets that close. And so one thing I'll do is I'll, like, I'll, I'll do your thing where I tell them to smile and I'll take a picture of them, and then I'll hold the camera in the same position and pull my eye back and tell them that I just want to check the picture. And then, then I'll make some kind of goofy comment just you know related to the person, uh, whatever I think will get them to relax a little bit, and I'll fire right then and there when I'm not looking. So my mm-hmm. camera settings don't have to change and the focus on the camera doesn't have to change because it's already set up. And they already know what I'm doing, so they're usually looking at me or near me 
And if they think you're checking it, then they're, they let their guard down for a moment. And then you say something funny like, you know, what was on, what's in your teeth or something like that? And they're like, kind of like, what? And they, they tend to smile and then I fire off a few frames right then and there. Nothing gets someone to smile more than asking them what's in their teeth. Well, you, you just got to know who you're talking to, you know, whatever it may be or, you know, just, I, you, I usually say something that will get them to relax. I don't need them to laugh. I just usually want them to have a more genuine smile. And so I'll try and do a little trick there. Mm-hmm. Um, we got one other question, Ben, maybe you can help answer this one. It's, uh, it's about uh, taking iPhone quality, you know, photos. Um, so basically I, I was like, okay, someone's, uh, I'm going to turn this, this question into two questions. One is how do you get uh, good photos with your iPhone? Uh, if, if someone's having trouble, they're a little bit grainy or a little bit blurry. Um, and then question number two would be like, what are some tips for just getting good photos using your iPhone? You know, say you're not going to buy a nice camera. The iPhone still is a, is a really great camera. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, so what are some tips for folks that are just, they're taking their iPhone with them to Christmas and that's going to be the, the, the camera that they use. Like, what would you recommend? You got any ideas? Well, I wish my wife was here to answer that one. Um, She's way better at this. Uh, it's mainly about patience when it comes to the iPhone and working the scene. And by that, I mean, um, you kind of keep moving around. So if you see, you know, like for me, it's kids, right? So if I see my kids doing something cute and I only have my iPhone, um, one, you got to get it open fast. So you got to do that little swipe up trick. And then you got to, I usually just get it out and I start um, snapping away and moving around them to until I kind of find something. And so with iPhones, you have to remember the background, you can't get much isolation on it. And so you're going to see what's in the background. So when you're moving around, look for a better looking background and just mm-hmm. constantly be looking for a better looking background. Other than that, um, try not to shoot below the person and angle up at them. It'll make them look really skewed. Try and keep them somewhere near the center so that you don't get much distortion in their face. And so if you're, that means if you're taking pictures of your kids, you want to get you know get down on your knees, hands and knees. Yeah, you you don't want to be way above them because if you take pictures of your kids from above, you see their toes and like their nose and their top of their head, um, and so that's not very good. So yeah, you got to get down low with kids. You got to get on your knees, or you got to sit down, or you got to lay down, depending on if they're crawling or walking. Um, but yeah, and then I, I just move around, change the camera angle, try and get a better looking background, and and then when you just go into editing, make sure you brighten it up. iPhone photos are always too dim. And how do you do that? Lightroom? Um, VSCO cam would work fine. Uh, Afterlight. You say uh, VSCO? Yeah. It's Visco. Yeah, I don't do that. It's Visual Supply Company. It's an abbreviation. But I think it's it's also Visco. Yeah, I don't do that. Um, We already know (laughs) I say things incorrectly. Like button. Uh, Yeah, exactly. but yeah, so it's just, you know, with iPhone pictures, it's almost as much about the editing as it is about the photo itself, um, which you won't find me saying too often, um, just because the colors come out very neutral. There isn't a whole lot of punch in the photos. Um, they usually come out a little dim, even if you try and use a little thing to make it brighter on the new iOS 8 stuff. But that's what I tend to do. Now, what are you using to... Uh to, to edit photos on the Mac because you don't use Lightroom anymore, right? No, uh-uh. I haven't used Lightroom since like October, I think. So not too long. Um, I use Flare, Flare 2, mm-hmm. uh, which is I think Flare Up or FlareApp.com, one of the two. I don't remember. Uh, but yeah, it's it's kind of like 
I don't know, it has like Instagram-y type fil- filters that you can just drop a bunch of photos in and apply them. I made my own filters because I get rid of like their weird border stuff that they do. It's like when you get the app, you look at it and you think it's a joke. Like you're not going to do serious editing in this app. And that's what I thought. Um, but then I realized you could remove some of their funky borders and their like filters that put scratches over it. And when you get down to the base of the image manipulation, it looks really good. And you just have to, like I've copied most of your Visco filters uh-huh. over, over to Flare and, uh, and so I, I replicate those pretty well, and it has, it's got like an iPad component. So I edit all on my iPad in Flare. Yeah, so they have Flare effects, and so any if you can use all the filters that you create in the app or the ones that it comes with as an extension in the Photos app. So I just tap Edit in the Photos app on my iPad, and then that little weird circle with the two dots or three dots in it. Mm-hmm. And it pops open, and there's flare. And I tap that, and then I edit my photo. And then a couple uh, taps, and I'm done. That's that's. So they, do they sync between your the Mac and the iPad app? Uh, the photos? No, the the, the, the filters. The yeah, the filters use iCloud and sync back and forth. Very cool. How do you so get you them, can, How do you get photos from your camera onto your iPad? The camera connection kit. Brilliant. I was I was that that was a leading question. Yeah, and yeah, no, the camera connection kit's fantastic. And so I only. So right now there's two limitations with my setup. One, iCloud photo library is terrible and just getting images moved back and forth. Um, I hope that changes one day. But um, secondly, flare effects when you edit the photo on your iPad, it downsizes photo to 2,000 pixels wide, um, which is super annoying. I'm not sure why it does that because uh, your iPad can import the full resolution. So I'm not sure what's going on with that, but um, that usually doesn't matter because if I'm sharing it on the web, like 2,000 pixels wide is just fine. Um, but when I go to print, like the holiday cards, it was annoying because I had to go and grab the cards off my Mac. And so I usually will download still to my Mac and just download using a Hazel script and stuff and, and pull them all into folders so that the originals are there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how I'm editing. Nice. I wish um, Visco Cam had an integration to Photos app, but I hate having to import into that app just to export back out to use it. It's annoying. Pretty sure it's a matter of time. I, I mean, because like, they were it was demoed at WWDC. Yeah, but I found out that that was an Apple thing. Like Apple made that without telling them. Are you serious? Yeah, that's what uh, I've been told. And so Visco never had plans to do it. And uh, from what I understand, I hope I'm wrong. But I think that like Visco has their own ecosystem with their Cam apps, yep. Um, and I don't think they want to break that up by allowing you to use their filters in the Photos app. Right. Yeah, I agree. I, and, I, and so, I've, I've, really unfortunate because it's like um, now you you know when you take a picture within the Visco Cam app, or when you import one into the Visco Cam app, uh, it syncs. Now there's there's the iPad version, so the, yeah. the two sync. The sync works great. It's brilliant. It works really, really quickly. Yeah, uh, and, and just you know, it just it just works. It's really great. Uh, and then they've got the Visco Grid, which is like a blog and like an Instagram type uh, thing. Um, you know, they've got all their Lightroom or all their their filters within the app, and like just a bunch of really really cool stuff. Um, it'd be interesting to see if they come out with a Mac app for Visco Cam. I think that it that it could do really really well, and then everything would be in sync across all the devices. Um, and then I'm that going, might be a time that I would switch to that, but until there's a Mac version. Yeah. So what are you doing? 
So I do mostly, uh, I mostly edit in Lightroom using some of the Visco film filters. I've got a couple that I've, I've kind of taken the filter or their preset and then I've modified it from, for my own use um, and kind of adjusted it a little bit. Um, so I've got a few of my own saved presets that I use in Lightroom on my Mac. And then, uh, but like for Christmas, we're going to Colorado. Um, so I'll just take my iPad and then the, the lightning, you know, to SD card, the camera connection kit. And so any, um, you know, I'll be taking a lot of photos while I'm there. And so anything that is, uh, you know, I'll go through them, you know, make a few edits and then share stuff during Christmas that's been, you know, tweaked on my iPad. Well, you should try Flare before you get it all set up before you go. Sure, yeah, I'll give it a shot. But yeah, the, it's for me, like, I, I don't know, I, maybe this is part of the Yoda thing that you were talking about with photography. Is that I used to be really into editing in Lightroom, and I'd spend like hours on 30 pictures just to get them perfect. You know, I'd fix, retouch every little dust speck and everything else. And, and it just became a pain. Like, my Mac isn't that slow, but Lightroom is slow. And I'm editing 30 megabyte raw files per image. And so I can't just flick through them all and see them. And if I render pre- previews and I got, you know, 100 gigabytes of previews that I have to store somewhere, um, which aren't going to fit on my Mac. And it just became this really big pain point where I constantly found myself, I have 30 minutes I could edit some photos right now, except for the external drive that houses my Lightroom library is at home. And so I can't really load them on without screwing everything up. Um, And then I started looking at the time I spent. I was like, you know what? You know what's really fun? Swiping through my photos as fast as I can on my iPad, picking out the ones I like, and then quickly editing them and just sharing them with people. Because mm-hmm. I never got around to sharing on Lightroom. Like By the time I edited, I was like, oh, now i got to export these things and go upload them somewhere or you know what have you. And so for me, it was like, you know what? I'd just rather share mm-hmm. and, and just do it quick. So I'm not quite so picky. I'll go through in Lightroom and you know quickly like call out the ones that are you know blurry or someone's blinking or eating a cracker or whatever. And then, you know, delete all those and then, um, you know, fiddle with one, like get, get some of the preset settings. And you usually spend like two or three minutes on one photo and then get it, you know, adjusted in terms of light and, and kind of the, the, the filter preset for that photo that I like. And then just, you can just then sync that, you know. Right. And then, and then all the photos, boom, they're all done. And then I grab, you know, I'll, I'll rate them so that I know which ones I want to look back. So in January, February, March, I can go back as I'm putting together the end of the year um, catalog of all my, uh, you know, the photo book. Um, I've got everything rated basically. If it's, you know, one star, star or higher, uh, then I can just, those are already ready for me to look at when I go back. And then some of my favorites, I'll just export them out and, and put them up on, on Flickr or I'll send them as emails or text messages to, to friends and family. Yeah, see, but see, the part where it all falls down for me too is, um, you know, I'm sitting in my living room and someone comes over and my wife goes, Hey, I want to show them that picture you took. If I don't have it loaded in Flickr or I don't have it synced over to Lightroom on my iPad or what have you, it's, it's annoying, right? I got to go grab my laptop, I got to open up Lightroom, and then 50 other things pop up on my screen and OmniFocus notifications because I was working on stuff on my Mac. But it's just simple because I can pull out my phone, my iPhone or my iPad, and they're all in the Photos app. And there this they is are. very true. Yep. So that's, that's why I switch. Hey, thanks for talking about photos, Ben. Yeah, thanks for having me. I like nerding out about this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.